0: Have you ever wondered why we don't see miracles today like we did in the biblical times? We don't hear about seas that split or the sun standing still like it did for Joshua. In fact, if you listen to the news these days, it's sometimes hard to see God's hand at all. But the truth is that God does miracles every moment of every day. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about seeing and receiving more miracles in our lives. We will focus on verses from the Bible, which record a little known song of praise that the Israelites offered to God after experiencing a great miracle that most people don't even know about. I'm also going to share some personal stories about miracles that I have received in my life, and I think that they're going to leave you feeling inspired and confident in what God can do in your own life. Every week, Jews around the world read and study the same Torah portion known as the Parsha. This week's Parsha is called Chukat, which means statue, and it covers Numbers chapter 19 through chapter 22, verse 1. The last chapter of this week's Parsha reads like a fast-paced epic. The Israelites face crisis after crisis as they make their way to the borders of the Promised Land. They have to deal with Miriam's death, hunger, thirst, an attack from the Amalekites, the venomous serpents, and several battles against mighty kings. It's no wonder that most people barely notice the short, but really sweet song that the Israelites sang in the midst of all of this action. Today, I want to focus on the verses that record this song and the events leading up to it so that we can appreciate what it can teach us today in our lives. They are from Numbers 21, verses 13 through 18, and I'm going to read them to you now. They set out from there and camped alongside Arnon, which is in the wilderness, extending into the Amorite territory. The Arnon is the border of Moab, between Moab and the Amorites. That is why the Book of Wars of the Lord says... Zahab in Suphah and the ravines that are known, and the slopes of the ravines that lead to the settlement of Ar and lie along the border of Moab. From there they continued on to Beer, the well where the Lord said to Moses, "Gather the people together, and I will give them water." Then Israel sang this song. Spring up, O well, sing about it, about the well that the princes dug, that the nobles of the people sank, the nobles with scepters and staffs. Then they went from the wilderness to Matanah. These verses can be a bit confusing, so let's break them down slowly. Verse 13 tells us that the Israelites camped next to a place called Arnon. Verses 14 to 15 tell us that there is a book called The Book of Wars of the Lord, and that this book recorded events that happened at a place called Sufa and at the rivers of Arnon. Verse 16 tells us that the Israelites moved on to a place called Be'er, where they received water from a well. And verses 17 to 18 are the words that they sang about that well. What is happening here? The most confusing part about these verses is what was recorded in this mysterious book, the book of wars of the Lord. Something significant must have happened in Sufa and Arnon, but it isn't clear exactly what happened. The Jewish oral tradition that was passed down from generation to generation from the time of Moses fills in some of these missing details to help us explain it a little better. The rabbis explain that Sufa is a reference to the Yam Suf, which is Hebrew for the Sea of Reeds. The literal translation of verse 14 reads, The gift of the Sea of Reeds and the rivers of Arnon. The Book of Wars of the Lord was a history book that recorded the significant battles that took place in ancient times. And in our verses, it records the battles that God fought at the Sea of Reeds and at the rivers of Arnon. Are you still with me? I know this is confusing, but it all ties together. So let's just give it a try. Now, the gift of the Sea of Reeds, where it refers to in our Bible verse, refers to the miracle that God did when he split the Sea of Reeds and then closed it on the Egyptian army, thereby defeating Egypt. The rabbis taught that the rivers of the Arnon are mentioned together with the Sea of Reeds because God performed a miracle there too, one that was on par with the splitting of the sea. Here's what happened there. As the children of Israel approached the land of Israel, the Amorites hid themselves in the crevices of the cliffs and rocks along the path that they knew the Israelites were about to take. Their plan was to ambush the Israelites as they passed through the valley, but God made a miracle and moved the two cliffs together crushing Israel's enemies and demolishing the entire Amorite army that was hiding there, wanting to destroy the Israelites. Meanwhile, the children of Israel had no idea that they had been in such grave danger, and they might have never known about the miracle that God had done for them. But God made the blood of the Amorites flow into the rivers of the Arnon and into that well that he brought the Israelites to. When God brought them to Be'er and they saw the blood in the well, they figured out exactly what had happened. And they understood very clearly that God had performed miracles in order to save them. This is why they sang a song of praise to God at the well, just as they had on the shores of the Sea of Reeds after it miraculously split for them to get them out of Egypt. Now think about this. The miracle that happened at the rivers of Arnon was just as great as the splitting of the sea. The only difference was that the splitting of the sea happened in front of everyone, while the miracle at Arnon was a hidden miracle. But as the Israelites recognized, Hidden miracles are no less wondrous than those that are obvious, and they are equally deserving of thanksgiving and praise. A lot of people think that God doesn't do miracles anymore like he did in the biblical times. But the truth is that God performs miracles all the time. The difference is simply that today's miracles are usually hidden miracles but they are miraculous nonetheless. One of the classic Jewish examples of hidden miracles is a story about the daughter of the great Rabbi Akiva, one of the most wonderful, famous, impactful Torah scholars of the first century. This story is called The Hairpin and the Snake. The night before Rabbi Akiva's daughter's wedding, she got ready to go to sleep as usual. She took her golden hairpin out of her hair, and just like she always did, she stuck it in the wall. In the morning, Rabbi Akiva heard a scream. His daughter had woken up and taken her hairpin out of the wall, only to discover a small but deadly snake stuck to the pin. This deadly snake was poised to strike her, just as she placed her hairpin in the wall and unknowingly into the snake. When she showed her father the dead snake that would have otherwise injected her with poisonous venom, killing her right before her wedding day, the great rabbi affirmed that a miracle had taken place and he gave all of his thanksgiving to God. Another person might have had the same experience as Rabbi Akiva did, but attributed to luck and move on without a second thought. But Rabbi Akiva showed us that even the things that appear to be coincidence are actually God's hand in our lives and that we need to acknowledge his miracles to open up our eyes to them and to thank him for them. I want to tell you about two times in my life that God saved me. And like Rabbi Akiva's daughter and the Israelites in Arnon, I had no idea that I was even in danger. Both instances happened during my gap year when I came to Israel to attend a Jewish seminary for a year. It was 2001 and Israel was going through the Second Antifada, a dangerous time when Israel suffered many terrorist attacks. It felt like almost every day that there was another bus or cafe blown up by a suicide bomber or there was some other kind of attack on innocent Israelis. It was a very scary time. Needless to say, my parents were very nervous about sending me to Israel that year. I agreed to stay away from buses and other public places like coffee shops as much as possible in order to limit my exposure to danger, but they understood I had to live my life. One day, a particularly hot day, I was finishing up some errands with a friend and we were running late. We were desperate to get back to our seminary as soon as possible. There was no taxi in sight, and so after a few minutes of waiting for one in the middle of Jerusalem, a bus pulled up right in front of us. My friend realized that if we took the bus just three blocks, we could get off on a street where taxis were easier to find. I was a little bit nervous, and I hesitated for a moment, remembering that I wasn't supposed to ride buses, but it was only three blocks. So after debating what to do in my mind, I decided to make an exception. I stepped onto the bus, and the second the driver closed the doors, we heard the sound of gunshots. We had no idea where the shots were coming from, or if we were safe or in danger. They sounded very close, and it was terrifying. But as the bus sped away, it became clear that thankfully we were headed in the direction away from the gunshots. Not long after, I found out that an Arab terrorist had dressed up like an ultra-Orthodox Jew and opened fire at civilians who were waiting at the bus stop just two blocks over from where I'd been standing. I also found out that a friend who I grew up with in Chicago and who was also there in seminary for the year had been shot in the attack. The incident hit very close to home for me. I knew that I could have easily been the girl that got shot. What if I had been at her bus stop instead, just two blocks away? What if I hadn't gotten on the bus when I did? Some people said that I was lucky, but I knew that it wasn't luck. It was that I was saved by God. And my friend from Chicago, God saved her too. At first, the paramedics believed that she was dead and that she was beyond saving, but there was one paramedic who happened to be an Arab who refused to give up on her. He insisted on giving her life-saving aid and kept her alive in those critical moments. Somehow the medics were able to remove a bullet from her lung inside the ambulance on the way to the hospital, and miraculously, my friend lived. They called her the miracle of Jerusalem. She would always say, an Arab tried to kill me and an Arab saved my life. But the truth is that God saved her life. The second time that I had a close encounter with terror was later that year, just after I returned to Israel from visiting my family in Chicago. It was the night that I got back and I decided to go out and see my friends who I had not seen in a while. I went to the center of town in Jerusalem where there's a lot of restaurants and coffee shops, a place where young people hang out, and I met up with a bunch of my friends. It was so nice to see them. A few hours later, we were all standing right in front of a restaurant called Café Ramon. It's a cafe that was very popular, especially with Americans, and there were a lot of people hanging out inside and outside the restaurant. It was getting late, and I had jet lag, and I was exhausted. I saw some friends from my seminary pass by, and I asked them if they want to go back to the dorms with me and share the cost of a cab. They told me that they weren't just ready to go yet, but that they could be ready in fifteen minutes, and we could all take a cab together. So I told my friends that I would sit down and relax while they finished up for those fifteen minutes, whatever they needed to do. My friends left, and I sat down on a ledge just outside of Café Ramon, where a lot of other teens were sitting. All of a sudden. I don't know what came over me. But I said to myself, you know what? I don't feel like waiting here. I just want to get back to my apartment. I'm so tired. I want to go to sleep. I don't care. I'll pay for the whole cab by myself. I'm not waiting here for 15 minutes. So I got in a cab and went back to my apartment all by myself. Now, exactly 15 minutes later, I got a phone call from the friends I was supposed to meet. They sounded panicked and wanted to know where I was. I said to them, I'm so sorry, I went back to the apartment, I have a headache, and I'm tired, and I just didn't feel like waiting there. You guys could take a cab without me. I took a cab by myself, and I'm already home. As soon as I finished explaining why I wasn't waiting at the cafe, they were crying, they were screaming, and they said, a bomb just went off exactly where we were supposed to meet, and there are body parts everywhere. Praise God that they were a few minutes late to meet me, which is why... They weren't there when the bomb went off and they survived. But all those people that I was sitting with on the ledge outside the cafe, all those kids, all those teenagers, they didn't survive. And to this day, there is a tree that's planted there and a plaque in memory of those people who were sitting there and lost their lives. My friends and I knew that our names could have easily been on that plaque too. We knew that we had received a miracle, that God had worked behind the scenes to save our lives. These two incidents taught me that I'm not in control and that my life is not guaranteed. That's a very scary thought for a 19-year-old to process, but it also taught me that God is on the throne and that he can protect me from anything, dangers that I don't even know exist. After my year in seminary, I went back to America to finish college, but a few years later, after I got married, my husband and I moved to the Jewish homeland so that we could raise our children here. A question that I get asked a lot is if I'm afraid to live in Israel and raise my kids here. And it's true, I understand. Israel is surrounded by enemies just waiting for an excuse to launch war. And a terrorist attack can indeed happen at any time. But I learned long ago that God watches over us and can protect us from any harm. David Ben-Gurion, Israel's first prime minister, once said, In Israel, in order to be a realist, you must believe in miracles. He was saying that the reality in Israel is that miracles happen. And if it weren't for God's miracles, it would be impossible for Israel to exist it would have been impossible for the modern state of Israel to have ever been born. As soon as Israel declared independence in 1948, we were attacked by five Arab countries with very well-trained armies. Israel defended herself with a relatively small army that included a lot of Holocaust survivors who had no training and didn't even speak Hebrew. Yet Israel miraculously went on to win that war, and many other wars, even though Israel was outnumbered and outgunned, it was truly despite all odds. Last week, we marked the 54th anniversary of the Six-Day War and the reunification of Jerusalem. Anyone who studies that war knows that the only way Israel defeated Egypt, Syria, and Jordan in just six days, when everyone expected Israel to suffer horrendous defeat, was by a miracle. There's simply no other explanation. Even today, when Israel is attacked by rockets, and we've seen a lot of them these past weeks, we continue to witness God's miracles. In the most recent bout of rocket attacks on Israel that began on May 10th, 2021, Israel came under fire from over 3,000 rockets in just the first week of the conflict. The most Israel has ever endured in such a short period of time. Remember, Israel is a country that is smaller than the state of New Jersey. For that many rockets to fall on our tiny country and see minimal casualties is nothing less than a miracle. While we mourn every life that was lost, we cannot escape the fact that if it not for God, the numbers would have been drastically higher. Yes, I know, Israel has the Iron Dome system, which can take down the rockets aimed at our citizens. Many people attribute Israel's protection to science and technology. But who gave Israel the capability to develop such amazing technology? Who gives our soldiers the strength and mental fortitude to work the Iron Dome successfully when they face 150 rockets in just a few minutes' time? And when the rockets do land in populated areas, as they do sometimes, who protects us from their deadly impact? There are those who try to explain the splitting of the Red Sea, the Sea of Reeds, in scientific terms. But just as we know that the splitting of the sea was a miracle of God, we need to acknowledge that what has happened in Israel over the last few weeks is also the hand of God, even if hidden and disguised. My friends, our loving Father performs hidden miracles for us all the time, many of them we will never know about. How many would-be bombers did not succeed? How many car accidents have been miraculously avoided at the last second? How many times has God protected us and our loved ones from dangers we never even knew existed? In Judaism, we recognize God's miracles in our daily prayers. This is what we say. Thank you, God, for your miracles that are with us every day and for your wonders at all times. The miracles that are with us every day refer to the miracles we see and know about. But we also mention the wonders that God does at all times this refers to the miracles that God does behind the scenes, 24 hours a day that we never know about. We need to acknowledge these miracles too. We need to thank God for them and let our faith be strengthened by knowing that he does miracles for us daily, even if we can't see them. But sometimes God does hidden miracles and leaves his fingerprints behind, like when I was saved from two terror attacks, or when the Israelites at Arnon known saw the blood of their enemies in the water. Here's the thing. Some people can experience a miracle and attribute it to luck, to a natural occurrence, while others can look at nature and see a miracle. We have a decision to see the world through godly eyes or through nature. How we see the events in our lives is entirely up to us. It's up to us to look beyond the surface to see God's hand in our lives and to notice the miracles that he does for us every day. That's what it means to have godly eyes and to respond to God's miracles with a heartfelt thanksgiving and stronger faith in the one who protects us. Albert Einstein once said, There are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle, and the other is as though everything is a miracle. As people of faith, we need to see everything as a miracle. From our hearts that beats and our eyes that see to our means of sustenance and our protection from harm, It's from God, my friends, who does miracles for us daily. So let's praise God. Let's give thanks for the many miracles that he has done on our behalf and trust him to continue doing miracles for us in the future. The more that we acknowledge God's hidden miracles, the more that we will receive them. Shavuot Tov, my friends, have a wonderful week from here in the Holy Land. Thank you for listening to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. If you like what you have heard, visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. You can also follow me on Instagram at yael underscore Eckstein, or on Facebook at yael ekstein. Shalom and see you next week.